Well, good morning. If you would open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians, the second chapter. Before we begin, let's bow before our Lord in prayer. Our Father, we bow before you this morning, a humble and a, a needy people. Father, we've gathered here together out of the world to, to come together on this first day of the week seeking a blessing from thee, seeking a word from thee. Father, I pray you'd give us that word, a word from, from your heart to our heart, that you not just let us go through the motions of religion, but Father, that you'd speak to us through your word and enable us to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I beg of you that you send your spirit upon us. And this might be the day that you'd be pleased to reveal your son for the very first time to one of your children. And that you'd be pleased to reach into the hearts of your people and feed us and comfort us and, and edify us by your word. Let us feed upon your word, Father, we pray. Well, we pray for ourselves, we, we pray for our children's classes, and we pray for your people, wherever they might meet today. Father, bless your word, we pray. We pray a special blessing our brother Eric as he's away preaching, and that you bless him in preaching and give him traveling mercies as he comes back home to us. Now, Father, all these things we ask, and that name which is above every name, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, for his sake and his glory, we pray. Amen. Now, I've titled our lesson this morning, Our Sin, But God's Grace. And I would like in the next few minutes to be able to paint our sinful condition by nature to be as black and as vile as it really is. I'd like to be able to accurately paint the picture of our hopelessness by nature, as hopeless and as dark as it really is. And then, in contrast, I would like to be able to paint the believer's condition in Christ as bright and as beautiful as it is. I'd like to be able to accurately paint the picture of God's grace as glorious and as beautiful as it really is. Now, I know from the start, I know I'm going to fail in that endeavor. But I'm going to give it my best shot. By God's grace, give it my best shot. And when this lesson is finished... My prayer is that each of us will see what makes the difference. What makes the difference between the saved and the lost? What makes the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous? What makes the difference between the living and the dead? The difference is this phrase, but God. But God. At first, I want to look at our spiritual death and our spiritual life. And the difference between those two things is but God. In verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now Paul is writing to believers who've been quickened. You who believe Christ, you've been given spiritual life now, haven't you? God's birthed you again. He's caused you to have spiritual life right now. But you didn't come that way, did you? Every believer was first born as a son of Adam. And we were born spiritually dead. We're no better. God's elect. God reached down. He chose them from the fallen lump of Adam's humanity. 
God set His love upon them. God chose to save them. But when we're born in this world, we are no better off than any other son of Adam. Every believer was born with and still has a nature that's just as vile, just as wretched, just as sinful as any other son of Adam, the worst sinner that you can think of. And Paul says when we're born, we're dead in trespasses and sins. And when he says we're dead, he doesn't mean like a, a freshly dead body. I've seen several folks that who just 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 had died. And to see their body, you'd think they're still sleeping, you, you're, they're, they're still alive. Paul's not talking about a freshly dead body. You and I have been dead a long time. A long time. And just like a corpse has just been left out in the sun to, to, to rot, to just nobody does anything, well, it just lays there for long, that corpse stinks. I mean, who it stinks. That's you and me by nature. We're dead. We stink. Stink. We are a stench in God's nostrils. We're offensive to God. That's what Paul's talking about here. And you know, a corpse begins decaying the very moment that it dies. It begins decaying and going back to the dust from whence it was made. And if you don't bear that corpse out of sight pretty quick, that corpse is going to get so ugly, you can't stand it. You can't stand to look at it. You can't stand to, to, smell, to smell it. Both the sight and the smell of that corpse is offensive to us, isn't it? That's why we bury our dead. Well, that's us by nature. We're offensive to God. We're offensive to His holy sight and His holy smell. That's all of us. That's all of us. Every one of us here this morning, there's none that doeth good. No, not one. We're all offensive to God. Because we're the opposite of God. Paul says we're dead in trespasses and sins. And what that phrase means is we're given over to trespasses and sins. We're directed by trespasses and sins. Seeking out ways to, to trespass against God, to sin against God more. That's what we are by nature. And the believer who God has quickened, we still carry that nature around with us, don't we? Well, what happened to cause that dead person to live? Verse 4 says, but God. But God, who's rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. But God. Now salvation swings upon this hinge. But God. On one side, all there is, is darkness and blackness and sin and unbelief. And on the other side of that hinge, but God, is holiness and light. Righteousness and purity and faith in Christ. Let me give you a few examples. One day God looked down from heaven and he determined that the sin of man was so great he was going to destroy man from the face of the earth. Man and beast, he was going to destroy them all with a great flood. Every last one of them. But God. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord saved him alive in the ark because but God. God intervened to save that guilty man, to spare that guilty man by his grace. You remember the story of Joseph and his brothers. How his brothers mistreated him. They sold him into slavery. They told his father he was, he was dead. And in the end, they'd all come to Jerusalem. Jacob had died and the, the brothers thought, Joseph's going to get us now, isn't he? He's going to get us now. He's going to give us what we deserve now. And Joseph told his brothers, calm down now. You meant it for evil. 
but God. But God meant it for good. To save as it is this day, many people alive. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Israel was surrounded by the armies of four or five companies. They're completely, or countries, completely surrounded. And certainly they would be destroyed. They're, they're so far outnumbered, and people were worried. And a man named Jehaziel stood up, and he told them, Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle's not yours, but God's. Oh, if the battle's the Lord's, we don't have to worry, do we? You don't, have, you don't need to be afraid. Because of but God. Then many years later, the leaders of the Jews and the Gentiles gathered together and they killed the Lord Jesus. They wanted to be done with this man, Jesus of Nazareth. It was their determination to be done with him and they slaughtered him. And Peter, preaching to them afterwards, told them in Acts 13, you killed him. You did what your wicked hearts desired to do. But God raised him from the dead. You did what you wanted to do, but God made sure his will, his purpose was done. God used that, that death as the sacrifice to put away the sin of his people. But God. The difference is but God, isn't it? You and I were born into this world spiritually dead. We were born more sinful, more vile, more wretched, more deformed by sin than we really know. I mean, we, we know we're sinners. We, we have, we have, Lord's given us some sight of our sin. But I'm telling you, it's far worse than what we know, what we think. Or is there any hope? Is there any hope for such a guilty, vile, wretched sinner? Well, there is in this phrase, but God. Is there any hope for that sinner? There is, but God. But God gave his people life. He says in verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved. See, we were dead in sin, but God quickens his people. He gives his people spiritual life and the new birth. And that new life that God gives his people, it's not like the life that we received from our parents. The life we received from our parents is physical life. But it's spiritual death. That's what it is. And we have spiritual life, but our sin demands we lose that spiritual life for too long. And after that, the judgment. Spiritual life that God gives can never be lost. It can never die. And this spiritual life, it doesn't live on, on physical things. It lives on spiritual things. It feeds on Christ. It's the life of Christ that's in us. It's his life that, that's given to us. This new life, the new birth that Paul is talking about here is to have the nature of Christ formed in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's our life, and that life can never die. Now, how does a person get this life? How, how, do I, how does this dead sinner become living? It's by God's grace. He gives it to his people by his grace. Now, you know what God had to do. He determined to give life to his people. He determined to redeem a people. Do you know what God had to do to give his elect life? He had to slaughter his own son. The son of God had to die as a substitute for his people. See, God loves the people. God determined he would save a people. He's going to show his mercy. 
but God's justice must be satisfied. God's holiness must be satisfied. God's justice stands up and says, I demand death for sin. That must be death for sin. I must be satisfied. Mercy stands up and says, but there must be life. There must be life. I demand life. I demand that there be forgiveness of sins. How can both of those attributes ever be satisfied at the same time? How can there be death for sin and forgiveness of sin? How is that possible? Well, it's only possible in the death of Christ as a sacrifice for the sin of his people. Christ must die as a sinner substitute. And when the Son was made sin for his people, the Father slaughtered him in justice. He gave him a full outpouring of his justice and his wrath against sin so that he died in the place, in the stead, as a substitute for his people. Christ died so that his people would live. Now I'm telling you, that's grace if I've ever heard it. Grace is God giving me what I do not deserve. Well, I don't deserve life, do I? I don't deserve God's mercy. I don't deserve his forgiveness. I do not deserve for the Son of God to die in my place. I don't deserve that. But that's what God did. See, but God. But God did that to save his people from their sin. Remember, many of God told you our sin is greater. It's worse. It's more vile than we can even imagine. Well, but God. But God's grace and God's mercy is greater than all of our sin. That's how we're given life. That's how the dead are given life. That's our spiritual life and our spiritual spiritual death. Right, the second thing I want to look at is our walk. The walk of the flesh and the walk of the spirit. They're walking in two totally opposite directions. What's the difference between the walk of death and the walk of life? It's but God. Verse 2, Paul says, Wherein in time past, when you're dead in trespasses and sins, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now what Paul describes here is the way of all flesh. It's the way of my flesh, the way of your flesh. It's the way of the flesh. It's the way of our nature. Our nature walks according to the course of this world. The, the way of this world and the course, the way this world is going, the way of the world. Now I want you to listen to what Scripture has to say about the way of the world. And this is the way all of us walk by nature. The way of the world is to not know Christ. In John 1 verse 10, he was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Here he came, the Son of God came in the flesh, and people saw him physically. They watched him grow up. They, they said, isn't this a carpenter's son from Nazareth? We watched him grow up. We know him. But they didn't know him, did they? The way of this world is to not know Christ, to not know that he's the Savior. The way of this world is the way of our flesh. It cannot receive the Holy Spirit. Our flesh doesn't have a place to put the Holy Spirit in John 14, verse 17, the Savior said, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. The way the world can't receive the Holy Spirit, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. 
The way of the world is guilt. The way of the world is not righteousness and peace. The way of the world is guilt. The guilt of sin. Romans 3 verse 19. Now we know. That what things soever the law saith. That saith to them who are under the law. That every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become guilty before God. The way of the world is guilt before God. Before the judge of all the earth. The way of the world is to appear before him guilty. And because our minds are dead, we think we appear before the Lord pretty good. I know I'm not perfect, but pretty good. We don't know we're guilty. The way of the world is to appear before the God of all the earth in judgment as guilty. Look over at Colossians chapter 2 for a minute. Colossians chapter 2. There's a religion of this world, a way that seems right unto this world, and the religion of the world cannot save your soul. The religion of this world can't touch your soul because it's fleshly, it's material, not spiritual. Look at Colossians 2, verse 8. Now beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now, Paul here, he's, he's talking, he's not talking about the philosophy of, of the world and science of the world, you know. And it, you know, at, at this time, people thought the, the earth was the center of the universe and the sun rotated around the earth. And he's not talking about those scientific things, whether they, you know, they're right or wrong. He's talking about the religion of the world. Don't let them spoil you. It's man's philosophy. Their doctrine is man's philosophy. Not something that's taken from the, from the world. Their religion is the rudiments of the world, the elements of the world, stuff that you can touch and feel and, and taste and handle. That's their, their religion. And Paul said, don't, don't let that spoil you and take you away from Christ. Look down at verse 20. I'll show you that's what he's talking about. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, now you're, these things do, you know, do not affect the rudiments, the elements of the world. They don't affect your soul. If you're dead from Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are we subject to ordinances? The law, touch not, taste not, handle not. Don't touch, don't taste, don't like these physical things of the world, which are all to perish with the using. And where do these things come from? After the commandments and doctrines of men. Oh, You don't find them in the word now. These are the commandments and doctrines of men. Which things indeed have a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, but not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. These things, this, these commandments and doctrines of men, they have a show of religion. Boy, they can put on a show of religion. They, oh, they, they act, they act all, all humble and, uh, and boy, they're religious. They neglect the body. They, they don't eat things that taste good. They don't drink things that taste good. You, you never see them uh, taking a sip of alcohol or anything, you know. Oh, they look pious, don't they? All that is is will worship. It's the worship of the, what can I do with my flesh? That religion of the world cannot save anybody. Because it's fleshly. It's material. Salvation is a, is a spiritual thing. That's the way of the world. The way of the world has that religion that's just fleshly. Then the way of the world is to hate Christ. 
Oh, they're religious. Now, I mean, they're religious. I grant them, grant you that. But they hate Christ. They, they're following after their religion, the doctrines and commandments of men, but they hate Christ. Our Lord told his disciples in John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, you know this. It hated me before it hated you. The way of this world is to hate Christ and to hate those who love him. And you know what? The feeling is mutual. Christ the Savior hates the world just like he hated Esau. Christ the Savior does not pray for the world. John 17 verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I pray for those that you gave me, for them. I pray not for the world. So much for God loving everybody, huh? He said, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Now, by nature, we're in the way of the world. We follow the way of the world. The way that's against God, the way that hates God, and the way which God shall destroy. He's going to destroy it. And then Paul gets even more offensive to the flesh. Next, he says, not only do we walk after the ways of the world, we walk after the way of Satan. Verse 2, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's Satan. You know, we think of Satan. We think of the very embodiment of evil, don't we? By nature, that's who we follow. The very embodiment of evil. We're under the influence of Satan and we follow him willingly. Willingly. Well, what is the way of Satan? The way of Satan is to lie on God. The way of Satan is to twist the word of God to suit our own desires. Isn't that what, what Satan did with Eve? He twisted the word of God to deceive her. And the way of Satan is to try to have the throne of God. See, Adam ate that fruit with his eyes wide open. He was doing the same thing Satan did. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be the one to make the rules. To say what's good and what's evil. The way of Satan is to try to take God off his throne. That's why God cast him out of heaven. And that's our walk too. That's the way that we go. We want to be God. We want to be, don't want to have God over us. We'll not have this man to reign over us. That's our way. That's the way of Satan. And the end of Satan will be eternal damnation. And by nature, if God leaves us alone, that will be our end too. That is exactly what our sin deserves. And here's how black and how vile our condition is by nature. We deserve to be damned just as much as Satan does. That's offensive to the flesh, isn't it? But it's so. It's so. Thank God that's not the end. But God. Oh, we're guilty. We deserve damnation. We deserve condemnation. But God. But God doesn't leave his people in Adam. But God does not leave his people under the control of Satan. God takes his people puts them in Christ. Yes, they were born in Adam, but God puts his people in Christ. And since we're in Christ, we're not under the direction of Satan. We're not under the influence of Satan anymore. We're directed by Christ. 
Since we're not under the law, but under grace, the believer's walk is not directed by trespasses and sins. It's not directed by the way of this world. Our walk is directed by the grace of God that's found in Christ Jesus. He says in verse 6, now we're, we were in Adam, but God hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now the believer's in the world, but now we're not of the world anymore, are we? We've got a nature that's been born from above. We don't walk in the way of the world anymore. The believer's in Christ. And the believer is so fully in Christ, we would never imagine this wasn't in the word of God. The believer is so much one with Christ, you're already seated with Christ in heavenly places. Already seated there in him. Where the believer is now, because, but God is in Christ. All right, here's the third thing. It's our conversation. It's our conduct. And our conduct is determined by our citizenship. Verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now our conversation, it, it's our conduct. It's where we live, our citizenship, where we live, and what we live for. Now by nature we're born into the kingdom of sin. We live there and we liked living there. This is, this, is, this is the way the kingdom of sin goes. We're always trying to think up new ways to sin. Doesn't it seem like what the world... I'm asking mean, sometimes, how do people come up with this? Thinking up new ways to sin. Thinking up new ways to, to offend God and sin against God. A new way that I can sin more than ever before. That's our conversation. In times past, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is just more sin, more depravity, more, more for the flesh, and just more sin against God. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of a dead mind. Just thinking up new ways to sin more than ever I've sinned before. Finding more pleasure and more sin. And Paul says we're the children of wrath. We hated people, and we hated God. Not only do we hate God, we hate people. We just hate people. Is it in this generation more hateful than any generation ever before? I mean, just hateful. And we're children of wrath who deserve God's wrath. Because of our sin, because of our hatefulness, because of our disobedience, we deserve God's wrath. The end of that has to be damnation, doesn't it? Has to be. Well, is there any hope? Is there any, any hope to escape the, the, this kingdom of, of sin, the, this, this dominion of sin? Is there any hope? Well, there is. But God. In this but God, in this phrase, but God, verse 4, but God, who's rich in mercy, for his great love or with he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved. Oh, we can't even describe how sinful we were, how sinful we are. But God <coughs> saved us by His grace. God translated us from the kingdom of darkness, put us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And aren't you glad Paul says here, by grace you're saved? When you look at our, our condition by nature, our works can't save us, can they? Our works can't recommend us to God. Oh, thankfully, salvation is by grace and not by our works. 
He says that in verse 8. For by grace are you saved. Through faith. And that faith is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works. Not of works. Not of works. Not of works. Oh, if we get that through our head, it's not of works. Lest any man should boast. Now, when God saves his people by his grace, he forgives their sin. And he forgives sin by his grace. The, way, the only way God can forgive sin is by sacrificing his, his son in our place, by killing his son in our place. And when God gives his people a new nature in the new birth, he gives it by grace. And when he does, now once we got a new nature, our walk is going to be different. Our walk is going to be changed. See verse 10? For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. See, now there's a new walk. Now, I'm not saying that the believer doesn't sin anymore, because that's all we do. All we do is sin. But now there's a new nature. There's a desire to be helpful, rather than to be sinful. That's what a good work is. A good work is done to help the body of Christ, to help the people of Christ. Just, just giving somebody a drink of cold water in the name of Christ. It's a, scripture calls that a good work. Now you imagine wanting to be helpful instead of being a child of wrath anymore. What happened? How, how was this great change? How did that, how did that happen? How could that possibly happen? But God. That's how, but God. He put a new nature in you. I can't stress this enough. I know we're not able to do it perfectly. But don't let that stop you. You think, oh, I can't do that perfectly. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't do this. Somebody will think that's dumb. I'm, maybe I'm doing it to, to try to get some self-glory. or Forget all that because everything we, we do is mixed with sin. That's a given. We already know that. But God lays something on your heart, a way to help somebody. Just act on it. Just do it. God calls that a good work. And that old nature is still there. That old nature still, that's why that, the believers in a constant state, state of civil war. It's the flesh lusting against the spirit, warring against the spirit. But like I showed you a few weeks ago, that new man, he's going to be stronger. Just like Jacob was going to be stronger than, than Esau. Jacob was going to rule over Esau, even though Esau was physically the stronger. Jacob, Jacob ruled, didn't he? Jacob ruled. Because that was God's will and God's purpose. And that new man, he'll be stronger than the old man. That new man will keep you believing Christ. He'll keep you looking to Christ. And brother, when we're looking to Christ, we're feeding on Christ. We need Christ. We've got our eyes on Him. Our walk's going to be different. It won't be perfect, but it'll be different, won't it? Why? But God. No reason found in us. It's all in God, isn't it? All right, I hope the Lord will bless that to you.